Anger is something we all have to face at some point when caring for a loved one. So what do you do to make sure that it doesn't eat at your very soul and being? Stay tuned. You might be surprised at the answer on this one. It's good. Welcome to Doing It Best with Elder Care Success, where we explore ways to relieve the stress, exhaustion, and overwhelm that we all face in caring for an aging parent, frail spouse, or partner. Fear, frustration, emotional, and financial strain does not have to be your M.O. Stay tuned as we dive into different and new ways of finding more joy together with those that we love and care for, and while keeping our feet solid on the ground. Hang tight, there is a better road ahead. Hello, everybody. It's Nancy May from Doing It Best with Elder Care Success. And we have a rather fascinating show again. But before I get going, I want to share a few things that are coming up in the Elder Care Success Show. First of all, we are encroaching on our 100th episode, which will be coming up shortly just after the first of the year. I've got some pretty interesting ideas for what we're going to do to celebrate that one, but I'm going to keep it under wraps and keep you in suspense. So please don't be angry with me on that one. By the way, that's a little hint for what's coming up on this show. Also, I'd like to share that we have a, a connection on eldercaresuccess.live, which is our podcast page. And there's a little tab on the right-hand side of that page that says, leave Nancy a voicemail. You click on that one and you can actually leave on your phone or from your computer or anywhere just on that page a voicemail to me, either sharing how great and wonderful we are. Thank you very much. I do say so myself, and some of the others do too, as well as being able to ask a question or get some extra support and help from, from me or others that I might have as guests on the show. So take a moment, take a look at that option, and click and send us a voicemail or drop me a note. The other is, as I always say at the end of the show, I will say at the beginning of the show, is that this is a gift that you can share to others so you can be a help to them. And it's my gift to you. So please share a link to the show and eldercaresuccess.live can be your gift to many friends and family members who are going through this difficult time right now and caring for a loved one, a spouse, a partner, or even a parent. And with that note, we are going to jump to this next episode with Dr. Mort Orman. Dr. Mort is an internal medicine physician for over 40 years and has successfully eliminated issues of anger in his own life and helping so many others. He has a program called No More Anger, which is a 10-session quick guide to get you out of that rat hole. And I know as caregivers, we're all there at some point because the stress and the frustration of what we do is sometimes quite grating on not just us, but others. And it makes things just a little bit more prickly than we need to. But his workshops and his expertise has actually helped doctors and nurses and lawyers and business owners and other entrepreneurs and family members and even the famed FBI. I'm not sure I want to be in one of those episodes with an FBI agent fully armed, but I'm presuming they leave their weapons at the door. <laughs> in any case, with that note, Dr. Mort, Dr. Mort Orman, thank you for joining me here today to talk about getting pissed off and angry. Yes, that's, there's a lot to that, right? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. So thank you, Nancy, for having me. I'm, I'm happy to talk to your audience about that topic, 
which is something I enjoy spreading the message about that uh, a lot of people haven't heard and some, you know, some new information about anger they may not have heard before. I've never heard anybody say that they really enjoy talking about angry or anger and being angry, but I'm yeah. I like talking. I like talking about how people can get, get, rid, of their, get rid of their anger. Yeah. Right. That's fun. There's so much that happens in the course of our lives where we're taking care of somebody, whether it's a parent, a spouse, a partner, another loved one, that I see so much anger that creates so much destruction in the lives of families at this point in time when we really don't want to do with that, deal with that. We just need to get through the day sometimes. And the worst is sometimes I'll go through these rabbit holes and start reading online and Reddit and elsewhere. And it's just like bitch session after bitch session. And to be blunt about it, it's, it's so uncomfortable to read incessant anger that goes on in people's lives when it doesn't well, really have to be that way. Yeah. And it takes a, a difficult situation and makes it worse. Right. Because you've got all the anger on top of all the other disruptions in your life and, and sacrifices you have to make and extra tasks you have to accomplish and, and things that you'd rather not have to be doing sometimes. Now, sometimes caregiving is fulfilling and people love doing it. But when you, the caregiver, experiences anger or when family members are angry at each other about how the responsibilities are divided or not divided and what kind of issues come up around who's supposed to do what and who's contributing what and those kinds of things. Plus, usually if we're dealing with elderly members of our family, uh, they have a tendency when they start losing their mental faculties to lash out in anger at the people who are caring for them, sure, which, which can be very frustrating and annoying to the people who are taking time out of their life to do something in the latter stages of their mother or father or other relatives' life. And they expect appreciation for their efforts. And sometimes when they get the anger back, they don't understand why the parent is reacting with anger when they're just trying to help them. And uh, also it starts to stir up anger within them and, and how they're being uh, treated and not appreciated. I want to take a, a moment to talk a little bit about the anger and the lashing out from, let's say, an elderly person you're taking care of, because that's a really important point. And yep. one day I heard that my mom hauled out to belt one of our aides. Like, mom, she would never have done that. Yet I think that, or I know that sometimes we're in such a rush to get something done ourselves that we don't realize that we really do have to slow things down for somebody else who is the recipient of care, just to a point of almost of exaggeration at time, at times, to help them understand what needs to be done and, and stopping to think about things from their perspective. I'm presuming that's some of the situation that you're dealing with as well. But I, what I want to go back further even more, because we talked earlier about how you got into this position yourself and in, in talking about anger because as a, a general medical practitioner, that's not something we think that a regular MD is going to be dealing with. You're supposed to be the great and powerful healer. Yeah. And, and uh, most physicians do not get into that area. They don't feel they have the skills and they don't feel they can really be helpful and they're not trained. So I was never trained through all my 
internal medicine training, my four years of medical school, my three years of internship and residency. Nowhere did I get training in how to deal with emotions or how to deal with relationships and things you like that. Other you than, take care of the body, not the heart and the soul. I mean, yeah. Well, that was that's emotional. the way most doctors are. Now, I was fortunate. I had um, in my first year of medical school, I had an amazing professor who was one of the pioneers in psychosomatic medicine. And hmm. back when I went to medical school 50 years ago, psychosomatic medicine was just starting out as a field. There were not many people who were involved with it, and he was one of the leaders in getting Why it off the Why don't you explain ground. what psychosomatic medicine is? Psychosomatic medicine was an expansion of the traditional medical model where it was an attempt to include mental and social issues and the impact they have on physical issues. So instead of just narrowly focusing on just the physical, on just the body, to appreciate the interactions between the body and the mind and a person's family dynamics and social situation and all kinds of other things, which obviously have an impact. But in medicine, we tend to have been very narrow focused for many years. So this was a, a field that wanted to branch out and expand the normal scope so that more doctors could get involved if they wanted to in the mental health field. So uh, one of my professors at the University of Maryland was this amazing teacher that we all loved and adored and admired. And he would, could do magic things when talking to patients. Once a week, we would have a class with him and they'd bring a patient in from the, down from the hospital uh, and he would interview them in front of us. Now, this was before we had any idea how to do a medical interview. So we hadn't hmm. even been trained to do that yet. So he's demonstrating what a medical interview looks like. So mean was, the, the doctor interviewing the patient? Yeah, okay. we would be in a, a big classroom and there would be somebody who was in the hospital for some reason and they were fairly stable and they would ask them if they were willing to participate and do something to help the medical students learn. And they, if they said yes, then they would bring the patient in, usually it'd be in a wheelchair or something like that. And then the doctor that I'm talking about would, the senior doctor would interview them in front of us. We would be watching. Nope, we didn't say anything or ask the patient anything. He would do the interviewing. And so first we were very impressed with just the basic medical interview, but then he was board certified in both internal medicine and psychiatry. Hmm. So he could go back and forth between the traditional medical questions and start to probe into the person's personal life, their psychological issues, their past history and their family and what's going on in their lives right now. And he would just go very effortlessly. He would kind of weave back and forth. And he would later on when the person would be sent back up to their room and we would debrief and we would ask him questions and he would tell us why he asked the things that he asked. And he had this model of above the line and below the line. And above the line was the traditional medical questions. And then below the line were the things that doctors don't normally ask or don't get into that he wanted to get into and show us that it was possible to interact with people around those issues as well and to see how the two are related and how they, how they affect each other. So it was a very inspiring class that got me, probably several other of my classmates. We had 144 students in our class when I was there, but certainly got me interested in when I became later on became a physician, not just limiting myself to the body, but also wanting to help people with their stress issues, with their anger issues, with their anxiety issues things that I saw was having an impact on their health and their life, the quality of their life. 
And I wanted to be able to be that kind of a physician that could do more than just the standard, tell me what hurts and let me figure out what treat your high blood pressure and your cholesterol and, and that kind of stuff. Because pa patients will tell you, I mean, it, it, while they're giving you their medical symptoms and telling you what's going on, they'll tell you about the problems they're having in their life and them, you know, what's going on in their marriage and with their kids and at work and if they got lost their job or had some bad thing happen to somebody. They'll, they'll confide, confide in you as their primary care doctor. And most doctors don't know what to do with that information. It's not my problem. You're here for a heart issue. Um, yeah, or it's not my you've field. Got, you've you know, got 20 you... minutes or less next, right? Or here's a pill for anxiety or here's a pill for depression or go see a psychotherapist or something like that. They weren't trained to take on those problems, but right. people would tell you that the, they're having those problems. And I know I felt like, gee, if I just knew how to help, that would be great. So I made it a point of trying to understand those mental and psychological issues better and, and actually sought on my own to get additional training, personal development work, study with mental health professionals, which I did. I actually did a master's uh, level program with a, a wonderful psychiatrist in California that was uh, part of a school that he had created. And I worked with other therapists and just tried to expand my skill set as a doctor so that I could be of assistance to people. And again, I'm not actually later on in my medical career, I, I devoted several hours of my week to counseling people around stress issues. So I had a which reduces blood pressure and heart issues yeah, and yeah, strokes and yeah. weight and everything else that goes along yeah. with. And, and I actually had other physicians referring patients to me with stress problems because they knew that was an interest of mine and that I had developed some expertise in helping people. So part of my practice in the last several years, I practiced 23 years internal medicine, in the last four or five years, about six or eight hours a week, I would devote to one-on-one -on -one counseling with people who are around stress issues. Some of them were my own patients who were having stress issues. And I said, well, let's schedule a, a time I can meet with you to help you with this. And Others were people that were referred to me by friends or by other physicians. Yeah, so I, I thought that was a great way to be a doctor, to be able to not be limited by the traditional training. A, a doctor now, who cares. Huh? What a novel approach to the world, huh? It's <laughs> funny. I was on the, my wife and I go to the West Coast every July and August because we, we live in Florida and it gets really hot. My wife doesn't like the heat. So we go there. I was playing golf in, and I, I was matched up with a 22-year-old kid. And so we're, you were playing golf together and we get up to the third or fourth hole and he asked me what I do. And I say, well, I'm a traditional trained medical doctor and I take, take care of people's health problems, but I also did extra training and now I'm able to help people with their stress issues and the problems they're having in life. And, and I can help in, in some ways prevent certain illnesses because I can help reduce their stress, reduce their anger. All did he like stuff. unload on you? Did no, he, he said, gee, I'd love to have that kind of doctor. Right? Here, and here's a 20-year-old or 20-something-year-old yeah, yeah, year thinking, yeah, yeah. that would be great if somebody yeah. would just take a moment to listen to me yeah. as opposed to just assume. And you know what's surprising? I did only have like 10 or 15 minutes per, pa per patient, but it was amazing how I could weave in something that would be helpful or just sometimes just listening, but sometimes I could suggest something or I could do something that would be helpful. And every once in a while, it was be, it'd be something really strange. For example, just to show, so I had this 90-some-year-old Polish lady. Okay. 
And she had, she was living with her two adult daughters who took care of her. They were the caretakers. And I would see her once a month and she had lots of medical problems. She had, and had a very weak heart. She had what's called congestive heart failure. And she was basically bed chair ridden, right? So that's about all she could do. And her daughters had a belief that if she exercised more, that exercise would be good for her heart. Right. 94 years old, run a marathon. What's the matter with you, mom? Right. Well, it wasn't. It not wasn't, quite a marathon, not, but not maybe, a marathon, maybe but, once you know, around the block. <laughs> you were walk around the house or. Yeah. You know, so they kept pushing her and pushing her. And, and of course, she couldn't physically. She was incapable of doing anything. So I would see her once a month and they would come in with her. And at a certain point, I started to notice she was getting depressed. Mm -hmm. And I saw her like one or two times in a row and she was like really depressed. And I'm trying to think, what can I, I don't know what I can, I don't have anything to offer here. Okay. I didn't try to give her medication because she's on so many other medications. I, I didn't want to do that. But so one day they bring her in and this was not premeditated. It just came to me in the moment. I had this idea, this wild, crazy idea that most doctors would never in a million years act on. <laughs> but I said, what the heck? I got nothing to lose here. <laughs> Uh, or maybe daughter, something to gain by yeah, making the daughters her may better. hate the daughters may hate me and and take her to another doctor, but it's like I got to try and do something. So I turned to her, and I, meanwhile the daughters are in the room. I turned to her and I said, "Would you like to get your daughters to stop pestering you about exercise?" No, because I had tried to convince them that this was foolish. That please stop doing this. It's not going to help. It's just going to make it wor things worse. But they wouldn't change their mind. So I said to her, "Would I have an, I have something that I think will help you? Would you?" Would you like to get them to stop? She said, and her eyes lit up. She says, oh, nah. I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they're right there. Sometimes you need to treat, treat the caregivers, not the patient, right? Yeah, yeah. So I said to her, I said, all right, well, I'm going to tell you something to do. But before I tell you what to do, you got to promise me, no matter what it is, you're going to do it. And she said, I promise. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want, after the visit is over today, I want you to have your daughters take you to a toy store. And I want you to buy a water pistol. <laughs> I love I it. I couldn't believe I was saying this. It came, it just the came super to me. super soaker. <laughs> it just came to me in the moment. And I said, well, I'm going to go with this. I said, I want you to buy a water pistol. I want you to fill it with water and keep it by your wheelchair. Or keep it when you're in bed. Keep it beside you. And every time one of your daughters tries to get you to exercise or talks to you about exercising, I don't want you to argue with them. I don't want you to just say anything to water pistol. I just want you to take the water and just shoot them once or twice with water and don't say anything. <laughs> and so, so I saw her back the next month. She's all smiles. The daughters are all. <laughs> That's funny. The daughters <laughs> are actually, soaking wet. <laughs> they actually did it. They, they let her do it and it worked like a charm. And it's, I couldn't believe it. It was. <laughs> That's a fabulous story. One, because. It, you treated the problem, which was the, the daughters. The, care, the caretakers, yes. Case, and their that, beliefs that they wouldn't let go of. They, they really, and you gave the mom control of yeah, her life. Yeah. With yeah. some fun and levity on it. So Yeah. And even at her age and frailty, she was able to do that. And like she said, she lit up when I said, would you like to get them to stop? It's like the depression went away in that moment. And she was like all excited. And she we, was happy yeah. when she came back the next time. Yeah, we and don't. And they were laughing about it. And the yeah, daughters were laughing about it. I think that's you know, great. I was, 
it was a risk because they could have gone the other way and just said, you know, this is a crazy doctor. No. There are lots, <laughs> not to be rude. There's lots of old people. You could have gotten no one. <laughs> but still, you know, to lose yeah. a patient that you care about. You I, was willing to take the, I was willing to take the risk. Yeah. 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 But again, it's, a, it's something you can, uh, my point is that even in that short span of 10, 15 minutes, you can sometimes work in a psychological or some kind of a, a tech, not a technique, but a strategy that might be helpful to somebody. I've got a friend who's dealing with a similar kind of situation that I actually might recommend this to. It's not with her, but it's with the parents and a very domineering father and a mother who's got some issues, health issues that are going on as a result of a, a, an accident that happened. Not any of Erie's fault, but you can, I can almost hear the I won't say anger, but it's frustration in the father's voice over his wife in trying to fix her. And they're in their late 80s. They both of them have health issues. There's only so much you can fix. And the fixing, I think, really comes down to, and I'll put it fixing in quotes, is trying to make sure that the rest of your life or the life that your person you're taking care of is not doom and gloom. And if you're and not producing, to be angry about it, right? Because yeah, you, you, and you if your reaction, you, and that's one of the problems, anger can cause lots of different problems as a caretaker with the person you're taking care of. If you're angry and, and you get triggered a lot by their behavior or by their anger or by anything else related to them or just by the situation, sometimes you can be angry that the person's sick. And or that's, they've died or they're getting old and they can't take yeah, care of themselves. There are a yeah, lot of ways to get angry. Yeah. yeah. And, and anger in, the, in an elderly person has a different source than the anger that the younger people experience because the anger from the older person is coming from loss of brain function. Or so loss of, of physical function to be able to do things. Because they're angry that they can't do things. Right. And they may be angry that they're losing their mental faculties. And they, and they at say, sense that they are. And they feel frustrated, they feel angry, and then they lash out. But it's coming more from a physical cause. Anger and, fr and frustration as opposed Frustration to at the physical situation right. they're in, whether it's the illness that they can't do things or that now they're dependent. Some they get angry because now they're in a dependent position where they've been independent most of their life and they don't want to go back to that childlike dependent state, which is unfortunately what they're in. Okay. So- they get a lot of anger about being in that situation. You can be angry at whatever your religious deity is that you believe in. Sure. Why this is happening to me? So there's all kinds of sources of anger in the elderly per as they age and as we're taking care of them, that, that their anger is coming from a, a physical place most of the time. Whereas our anger, when we're younger or we're the caretaker, our anger is coming from a different place. It's coming from how we're looking at the situation in very specific ways that we don't recognize that that's what's causing the anger. It's not. So I'm going to stop you there and back okay. you up then. Okay. I'm a caregiver and I'm angry at the situation. I'm somewhat in control of my life because I've always been an A plus personality. I'm not using myself, but I'm just putting myself in this, in this context. I may be angry at my siblings. I may be angry at my parents. I may be angry at a financial advisor, a doctor, how do I start recognizing that's happening? Because it, it just well, sometimes you, becomes all-consuming. You won't have a problem recognizing that it's happening. You'll know, you're, you'll know you're angry, okay, most of the time. 
The, the thing you will have trouble recognizing is what's causing the anger. Okay. And I found that almost universally today, we've been so poorly educated about our emotions and where they actually come from that almost everybody is blind to the real causes of their, any negative emotions they may be experiencing, whether it's anger. I get a headache, guilt, I grind my teeth, can't well, that's sleep a symptom. Night. That's a symptom. Okay. okay. The question is what's causing the anger that's causing the headache, the grinding, the teeth, the tense muscles. So how whatever. do I find that one out? That's what I do with people. So can you, can you give me a couple of yeah, examples? Yeah. Somebody, but I'm saying that it, it right. takes somebody, whether it's a therapist and there are cognitive behavioral therapists that can be helpful in this regard. There are other kinds of coaches that can be helpful in this regard. Back when I was in my 20s and 30s and had lots of anger as a young doctor, and I would get angry at my patients if they would do stupid things or wouldn't follow my advice. Back in the days when I was really angry and didn't understand where it was coming from within me, I had lots of problems. I had lots of relationship issues. I had lots of, didn't really have any severe health issues because I was young at the time. They didn't have enough time to really work on that. But, but it was bothersome and it really, uh, it made me feel bad. Here I am, a successful physician. I've gone through all this training. I'm a good, I'm a successful What's there to be angry about, right? Yeah. Well, no, you have to put on this air of like, you're the together, confident physician, but inside you're having a lot of turmoil going on. You're emotional and you can't control it. And you're lashing out, you're getting angry at yourself, you're getting angry at other people, you're getting impatient, and, and you, you don't feel good that you don't have control of yourself in, the, in the regards of your emotions, okay? So I, I never liked that, but I couldn't do anything about it. I tried all the standard stuff, the anger management, the stress management techniques, the relaxation, all that kind of stuff, but I was still the same this, angry guy. Every that. day I woke up, I was the same angry guy. I was generating just as much anger every day, no matter how much I did any of that stuff. So, and then the other interesting thing about being a doctor is as you're seeing patients from day to day and month to month and year to year, you recognize the angry ones from the ones that aren't angry a lot. And you also know what happens to them health-wise. You see patterns. And family-wise, yeah. You see, most people, when they go to work, they don't get that, they don't see that. Okay. They don't see those patterns. As a doctor, when we go to work every day, we may see 20 or 30 patients each day, and we see the ones that are angry and the ones that aren't, and we notice they've had more heart attacks, they have more strokes, they have more divorces, they have more estrangement from their loved ones and their kids, they get fired from their jobs more frequently. You see all the bad stuff that comes from anger, and then you're sitting there with your own anger. And you're realizing that this train is coming for you if you don't do something about it or figure out how to do something about it. So it, motiv it was a big motivator for me that I could see the negative side of anger in a way that most people don't, unless you're a doctor or a, a therapist or something. You don't see how damaging it is and can be. And I didn't want that for myself. So that, I probably would have, if not for that, I probably would have given up because everything I tried to do to deal with my anger didn't work. So I, I actually believed that was just my personality. That's just who I was and it wasn't going to change, but I still kept searching because of this motivator. I don't want to end up with all these problems. Oh, I don't want to end know, up 10, with my 20, patients. 10, 20, 30 years down the road. So I, I kept looking and that's what spurred me to, to get into personal development work. And so I spent a couple of years doing personal development work, studying with lots of different people, 
and I was getting little bits and pieces of insights into what it is to be a human being, stuff you never get taught in medical school, okay? How relationships work and don't work, communication, how that works and doesn't work, emotions, how they work and what's really going on. So I'm getting these pieces of input and then after a while, I was able to cobble together enough from different sources where I came up with a little system that would enable me to, for the first time, understand where my anger was coming from internally. Because we tend to think it's the external things, but it's not. Now, the external things are there and they happen, but you're caring for an elderly person. They get pissed at you for no reason. Those things happen, but the anger is being generated in how, as I said before, how we're looking at that automatically that we don't recognize. And we don't know, we don't know what the formula is for anger. If I asked you, how do you have to be thinking exactly in order to get, generate the emotion of anger, would you be able to answer the question? And most people can't. Okay. 40 years ago, I couldn't either back when I was in my twenties and thirties, but then I learned what the formula was. I learned how anger gets generated in a human being. And this but is true for all get, human beings. This is true for all human beings. Can you give me a couple of tips? I know well, I you've got you the, the whole, course, but you I can know, give that's... you the whole structure. I can give you the whole structure. Great. It's not complicated. Right. Um, but so it's easy to tell people what those causes are, but then showing them what they can do with that information, how I they understand. can use it to make their anger disappear, that takes, that takes some work and some coaching and it, that's an art. But I can tell, explain to you, just Pick an example from your life of anything that's ever made you angry. Could have been yesterday. Could have been 10 years ago. Just pick any random incident. Doesn't, okay. doesn't have to be big. Just something. I, I asked my husband to do something for me and it didn't get done. Okay. It didn't and, get, well, it got done, but it didn't get done the moment I wanted it done. <laughs> okay. So this, here's the structure of anger. Here's how we're, here's how we're looking at situations. Correct. That generates the emotion of anger in us. Okay. So firstly, we're looking at whatever happened as somebody did something bad or wrong or something they shouldn't have done. So your husband shouldn't have delayed in doing whatever it is that you wanted him to do. When you asked him, he should have done it. Okay. Someone was hurt, harmed, or in some way negatively impacted, which could be something that's disappointed let down, or it could be some really, somebody stole something from you, somebody damaged your car, it could, or, or damaged you. It, it could be some big negative impact, or it can be just an emotional negative impact. But usually there's a negative impact. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is that person who did the, th the bad and wrong thing that caused the negative impact was unilaterally responsible to blame for what they did. Okay. That'll get you anger. Whenever you see those three things going on, somebody doing something bad and wrong, some negative impact occurring, and they're responsible for what they did, you get anger. Perfect example is you're standing in a grocery store. Let's say you're with a friend in a grocery store. Two of you are standing side by side. A child you starts screaming and a parent does nothing about it. Well, no, it's even worse than that. You look down the aisle. Okay, and there's a mother with a young child, and the child's misbehaving. The mother hauls off and slaps the child. Okay, you, you're looking at the child screams event. even more, right? But from your standpoint, let's say your reaction is anger at the mother. Okay, why did you get angry at the mother? She did something she shouldn't have done. 
that was bad or wrong. Somebody was negative impact, negatively impacted. So the kid was hurt, you know, physically in that moment. And maybe even long-term, you might be imagining that there's going to be some long-term consequence for the child growing up. And the mother was responsible for deciding to slap the child, right? So you might be very angry when you see that at, at the mother. The person standing right next to you, your friend, suppose that friend has no anger reaction at all to seeing that. How could they not have anger, right? Or be because upset by it? They have different, they may have different filters. Suppose they thought that was good parenting. Now, I'm not arguing it is. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying, but suppose they had a different philosophy. Suppose they saw it as tough love. Suppose they saw it as the mother doing something good and the child not being harmed, but the child actually was going to benefit from this in the long run. And they didn't see the mother as 100% responsible. They saw the mother slap the child, but the child was misbehaving to provoke the mother to slap the child in the first place. So they saw the situation differently from different filters and they didn't get the emotion of anger. Okay. So I'm just pointing that out because it, to show you that it's never the event, you both saw the same event. So it can't be the event. It has to be the filter. It's the filter. It's the filters that we look at the event through that are baked into our body and our brain. Okay. And we don't, A, we don't notice that we're looking through filters and we're seeing them in a certain filtered way. And we don't know that those are the three filters for anger. Somebody there always has to be those three filters because I'm thinking, number two, there's a negative impact. Yeah. It may not always be considered a negative impact necessarily. Then you won't get angry. Okay. I may be frustrated. It's like, well, so frustra it's a, a, frustration no, a is a kind of, impact, a kind of an anger, right? It's, it's a kind of a mild form of anger, but okay. it could be anger at yourself or anger at a situation or something. But yeah, anytime somebody's angry, they're going to be looking at things in those three ways. Really neat. It's really neat to know that because firstly, every single time from this point on, any of your listeners, if they wrote those three things down, any time from this point on that they get angry about anything, they can immediately know that they were looking through those three filters. That's how they solve it. It Somebody takes time to step back and say, all right, one, two, three. So it becomes well, a training mechanism that you well, have You can to actually do. write them down on an index card, which I advise people to do. Write them on an index card and put it in your pocket. And just remind yourself. Or put it on your cell phone. <laughs> and you can tell immediately where your anger's coming from. Oh, I, the, I was thinking this way and this way, and that's I'm thinking the in, write it on the inside of your windshield when you're driving. <laughs> or on the palm of, or the palm of your hand. <laughs> yeah, you, or you flap your visor down. And then, <laughs> it's easy to teach people that. And I didn't know this back when I was in my 20s and 30s. Assume the anger is coming from the outside world and the stuff I was seeing that I didn't like. Patients do stupid things. Patients don't follow my advice. You know, my mother says this, my sister does that, my girlfriend does this or that I don't like. I was thinking, they don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It was all external and I wasn't seeing everything was coming through these filters that was producing the anger. And, and the interesting thing is when you know what the filters are, in other words, you know how you're thinking and what you believe to be true, because it's believing what's coming through the filters is true, the combination of those two things seeing them that way, and then believing that's the truth, that's where the anger comes from. What's interesting, though, is when you understand the mechanism, 
and you go back and you start questioning, well, did somebody really do something they shouldn't have done? Was somebody really hurt or harmed or negatively impacted? Was the other person really 100% responsible and nothing, nobody else played a role? You often find out that reality is different than what you, your body assumes it to be true. So I'm, I'm going to pause you there a second because I'm thinking about this, and especially as we step into a care role, let's say the lead caregiver, POA, mm-hmm. and we've got relationships over the course of a lifetime, a family of lifetime, right? Yeah. And sibling rivalry, sibling relationships, and now all of a sudden you're the one in charge or somebody else is the one in charge and you've always had a bad relationship growing up. Now this becomes even more exacerbated yep. when it's somebody else that you're caring for jointly in some way, shape, or form. Yes. And that takes a lot of work to be able to step back and say those three things. Just like Well, no. it, it really doesn't. When you know when you when you have the index card. Yeah, because the, the anger has built up over the years. So now you just Yeah, don't but that's have... fine. The index card still applies. It, it does. It applies to anger in the moment. It applies to anger that's been going on for decades. Generations, right? Yeah, yeah. decades. It, it, the anger, your anger originated for the same, through the same filters. People who got angry a thousand years ago, who are dead now, they all got angry by looking at things through those three filters. Interesting. A thousand years from now, whoever gets angry is going to be looking through those three filters. Somebody in China today who gets angry is going to be looking through those three filters. That's how human, that's how anger occurs for human beings. Whoa. Well, I'm going to look at things a, a lot more differently next time yeah. I get yeah, anger. That's the idea. That's the idea. Right? And to say, <laughs> take a step back, I can almost feel my body relaxing a little bit thinking about it because. Yeah. Well, let me give you an example uh, of how this works, how this benefits you. Okay. So my wife, I've been married 39 years to my wife. Never would have happened had I not learned this stuff about anger because anger ruined most of my earlier relationships. But fortunately, I didn't meet my wife till after I had done this work and figured out where anger was Lucky coming her. from. And, yeah, and started. <laughs> you know. Okay, so we've been married 39 years. Beginning early in our relationship, we didn't, use, we didn't fight a lot because I, I had cured my anger problems. She didn't tend to get angry that often, okay? And so we almost never had arguments or fights, which was really nice. And then I noticed that there was one specific situation where we would get snippy with each other and start having hard feelings with each other. And it only happened when we went on car trips. So it was like a pattern that stuck out, okay? Because against a background of no, when you have a background of no arguments, any pattern of arguments is going to just jump right out. Sure. Whereas if you're having arguments every day, it's, you're not going to notice it. But we weren't. So this really stuck out like a sore thumb. And then I noticed it didn't happen. It didn't happen when we would drive to our destination. We didn't have fights. We didn't have fights. We were at our destination. It was only home. when we drove home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not going to handle that one. <laughs> so I'm seeing this pattern. I'm going, something Uh-oh. fishy's going on here. <laughs> Maybe we should always stay on vacation. <laughs> this is a pattern. And I got to figure this car. out. I got to figure this out. So it turns out, so I did some investigating of myself. Hey, here's what it turns out to be. But what would usually happen is we, I would be driving, we'd drive home. My wife would say, oh, there's something over here that I'd really like to go see. It's only an hour off of our path. I'd really like to go do that. And I would go, no. <laughs> she would go, what do you mean, no? I said, no, <laughs> we're driving home. You don't do that when you're driving home. 
She so, was dealing I, with I, the journey. You were dealing with the destination. I, and I, I had a tone. Obviously, I was, uh, you know, she was, she was wrong. She was doing something bad and wrong. I was a little angry at her for even suggesting it, and it got communicated, and she didn't like it, and so she would, she would react appropriately by being angry with me. Like, why are you saying no? It's like, and I was the one controlling the car, so I can determine where we went. <laughs> what was beneath that? what I realized was she and I came from very different family traditions about car trips. In my family, my sister and I and my parents, if we did a lot of car trips and we would go on a trip and when it was time to go home, we would get in the car and we'd drive directly home. We might stop for gas, we might stop for food, we might stop for bathroom break. Never would we go an hour off of our path to see anything. You go directly home. My wife's family was very different. They were driving home from car trips, her mother would often say to her father, oh, there's something over here. It's only two hours out of the way. Let's go do it. They would go do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the journey. <laughs> when I, and then, so knowing the mechanism now of why I was angry, I was judging her to be doing something bad and wrong. It was going to negatively impact me because it was going to take me off the path and cost us more time before we got home. And she was 100% responsible for doing that. When I asked myself the first question about the first piece, is she really doing something bad and wrong by suggesting we go see something an hour off the path? And I had to, when, as soon as I asked the question, I had to say, well, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's not that my way is right. Her way is wrong. It's I have my preference. She has her preference. Neither one is right. Or they're just different ways of doing something. As soon as I realized that was the truth. As opposed to what my body was telling me automatically was, no, she's wrong. I'm right. I know how to drive home from a trip. This is the wrong way to do it. As soon as I realized that was all caca, okay, then, I, then it was like, she has just as much right to want to do with the, her way as I do. So from that point on, anytime she said, let's go over here, let's deviate from the pants, I said, sure, hon, let's, if that makes let's you happy, let's chill. go do it. Do that. <laughs> it wasn't, an, it wasn't a problem. There was no anger. There was no, it was like, she's not doing something wrong. I saw it completely differently because I had investigated the roots of it and realized that I was wrong in judging her as being wrong and that she wasn't. And from that moment on, it was not a, she was not committing a crime every time she suggested we go off our beaten path to do something. That's how this works. When you know the mechanism that generates the anger, you know the questions to ask. I, lo I love this, especially when it comes to not just our own personal lives, but just as in the care role when we're, yeah. there's yeah. so much pressure on us to, to do what we think is right for somebody yes. who is not capable of, or I say physically capable, they may be mentally capable, but not physically capable or vice versa, or maybe both yeah. to take care of themselves in those final years. So you're a caregiver, you're taking care of an elderly parent, okay? And they start getting angry at you. You're just doing what you need to do for them and right. you're doing your best to care for them, love them and all. And they get angry at you, okay? And then you get angry back at them, okay? Forget their anger for a moment. Looking at your anger. You're looking at them as they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, getting angry at you. After all, you're taking your time and your effort and disrupting your life to care for them. Um, you're negatively impacted because now they're messing with your emotions, okay? Making you feel bad or guilty or whatever. 
And you see them as being 100% responsible or to blame for getting angry at you. What's the truth about those three statements? First thing is, are they doing something they shouldn't be doing? What's bad and wrong? When their brain isn't working properly, their body, they're in a dependent role that they don't want to be in, their body's letting them down, they can't do the things they want to do or used to be able to do. Is it wrong for them to be angry? No. It's, a per, it's understandable that they would be angry. You don't like it. You'd prefer they weren't. But when it happens and you get pissed that they got pissed at you and you ask yourself, are they really doing something they shouldn't be doing? You realize that their biology is such and their mental state is such that they don't have a lot of control like you do. And they may just lash out with anger when they might not even mean it. It's just that's... Yeah. Or where you they did are something right to trigger it unintentionally without yeah. even knowing that it was going to cause some friction. Yeah. And they're not 100% responsible because they don't have their full faculties. Their body, their brain is taking over and making them do things sometimes that they can't control because they just aren't with it as not enough. So you can realize that if you're looking at the situation in the way that's causing you anger or annoyance, you can examine those three perspectives and see if you can shoot holes in any of them. And because it's all, your body's just reacting in a knee-jerk, automatic, you're just seeing things in a knee-jerk, automatic way. to do that. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things we don't, this is the funny, one of the things we don't realize, we all know about fake news now. Yep. We know how the media just sends us fake news all the time, regardless of whether it's the right media or the left media. It's been happening it's just, for years. It's just, it's just fake. It's Since just colonial all fake. times. <laughs> it's all fake news, okay? So we know that. We know that now. Okay. What most people don't know is our bodies generate more fake news on a daily basis than the media ever does. We're, we're constantly generating fake news to ourselves that we don't even notice happening. Our body's automatically thinking things, feeling things, seeing things that, that are often distorted and aren't 100% accurate. And we don't know that. It feels true. It feels like we're perceiving reality correctly, but a lot of times we're not. And if people just understood that their own bodies and brains are just as much generating fake news as the news sources they listen to, then they would be ahead of the game in terms of, because I tell you, I've been doing, I've been working on my anger issues, not working on, but I actually eliminated most of them. But in the beginning, when I had to work on them, I, I had to take them one by one as they occurred and, and dissect them and do this process and ask myself what's true, what's not true. And then I would, I found out that almost 90% of the time that I was angry, there was one of those three things wasn't true. Huh. It was amazing. You assume that uh, the way things is true. Because it, that's the filter that we've been taught. If feel, seeing is believing, all those little those slogans yeah. that are out there, right? And it feels true. The anger actually is a feeling that makes you think you're in touch with the truth. Yeah. Seeing is believing, perception is reality. The list yeah. goes on, and that's a, yeah. a different filter. We're going to have to wrap this up, but I'm thinking as we start stepping into these, this role as caregiver in that early stage, and we may not necessarily even recognize that there's a slowing down of a parent or a loved yeah. one, yeah. that becomes even more difficult because our level of our speed is at one level, and theirs is just slightly behind that sometimes. So- uh, yeah. I'm sure so you've stopping. heard, of, I, I'm pretty sure you've heard of the book 36 Hour Day. Yep. 
That, that's very helpful. I used to recommend that a lot in my practice when uh, patients of mine were caring for their elderly parents, because it does give you some insight into why the parents are reacting the way that the crazy ways that they are reacting that will drive you crazy if you don't have that background of understanding. Of and not happening. everybody gets dementia. Right. But, but our bodies and our days do slow down over time. Yeah. And we all get pissed when we lose function. Right. Whether it's mental function or physical function. I can't run like I did when I was 20. Yeah. I can't play center field anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I used to catch everything. It was in the air. If it was in the air, I caught it. <laughs> Your reactions are a little faster. More. this is fabulous. I love this discussion. And I think it's something that we can come back to at another time. But especially as we get closer to the holidays, I'm going to ask everybody to really take heart on this particular episode because there is so much pressure around us from a society and a family perspective to be perfect over the yes. holidays. Whether, yes, absolutely. No matter what your spiritual or personal beliefs are, but the perfect Halloween costume, the perfect Thanksgiving dinner, the perfect Hanukkah meal or Christmas meal or whatever it is, there is no such thing as perfect. Yeah, a and that's one of, of the creativity goes a long way, right? That and that's one of the sources of anger for all of us is that when we have expectations that are unrealistic and they don't get fulfilled, we get angry. If we don't if we don't see them as being unrealistic. So perfection is an unrealistic expectation. I most, would rather be a time. Julia Childs than a Martha Stewart. Yeah. Unless <laughs> unless you're a brain surgeon, you know, you can let go of the perfectionistic Right. If, it, right. if you have a knife and a scalpel and you're going for my skin, yes, guess you what? Want, you better you be damn be perfect. perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but when you're, when you're interacting with your kids or your spouse or your, even your patients or the people you're caring for, we will tend to automatically have these expectations that don't get fulfilled. And then we'll get angry because, again, when the expectation is fulfilled, it'll look like the person is doing something bad and wrong that they shouldn't be doing. And they're doing instead, it to us. Instead of, and yes, and we're being negatively impacted. Instead of, oh, we've got a, we've got a stupid expectation that we should never have adopted in the first place. Stop, take okay. a breath, think about it, put it in And the holidays, all, all that happens during the holidays is the expectations just get ratcheted sky high. The media, advertisers, you know, the, the, the time of the year, everybody's supposed to be happy and joyous. Black and Friday, you've got to buy it now within the next yeah. three hours. Are you going to yeah, lose you out? you got to get the right? best presents for your kids and spend oodles of money. And if you don't, kids are going to be unhappy and all this kind of stuff. So it, it's, a real, it's a time of heightened expectation. And they say um, that actually more deaths and heart attacks happen on Christmas Day between Christmas and New Year's. I so, wouldn't be surprised. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah. Well, on, on that positive note... <laughs> Something to look forward to. <laughs> no, I think something to look forward to is finding the sunshine on a dark, cloudy day when you're yeah. just a little ticked off. Yeah. And but, but let me underscore one thing here. Okay. Uh, in general, our society does a very poor job of educating us about emotions. Yes. And, and where they come from. And, Other than and bye, bye, bye. They do a tremendous job of triggering our emotions because a lot of their financial models depend on that. But they do a horrible job of teaching us how to not get triggered by emotions. And when you're in a caregiver's role, your emotions are going to get triggered frequently from lots of different sources. Okay? Hourly, if not daily, yes. Yeah. So one of the most important things you can do as a caregiver is learn some things about your emotions that, that you so that you have the ability to, to when they start getting triggered right and left, 
that you're not dragged around by them and you have some insight into them and some control over them. So it's an absolutely important skill set to have when you're thrust into that role. And most people, unfortunately, when they get in that role, they don't have it. And when they go, as long, even if they've been in that role for a while, they nobody comes along to teach them or help them. And after they're done with that role, it just becomes a wound can be, that festers. Now, there can be lingering longer. regrets and yep. resentments, regrets of what they did or didn't do, resentments of how, how other family members performed or didn't perform. And there can be lasting anger issues that, that can be... I, I don't wish that on anybody. This has been a fabulous discussion and one I certainly learned from, and I will try to be a little bit more patient and think about those three steps myself. I will start practicing this afternoon. For those who are listening, I'll have notes and links in the episode on how to reach Dr. Mort Ortman, uh, Orman if you want to. He's also got a program called The Anger Solution and The Truth About Stress, which I love as well. Maybe I don't love stress or anger, but it's just finding those solutions to make our lives just a little bit better. And as the old adage goes, if we can't take care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. So I think that's critical, and it may sound a little trite, but I think in this case, it's more true than ever before. So please, as I said earlier, take a moment, share this with your friends, your family members. It can be a very simple gift that you give to them to relieve a little stress for yourself and a little anger for yourself, because maybe they could use these tips as well. And it's my gift to you. Take care, stay well, be well, and we'll see you soon. Thanks. It's Nancy Mate doing best with elder care success. Bye-bye. This show is sponsored by Caremanity, the publishers of How to Survive 911 Medical Emergencies, a step-by-step guide before, during, and after. For your own personalized free file of life, go to www.howtosurvive911.com. All trademarks, brands, and comments are not intended to be substitutes for medical, financial, or legal advice. Please consult a medical, legal, or financial professional for issues relevant to your own personal situation. This show is produced by Caremanity, LLC. All rights reserved. Copyright, Caremanity, LLC.